Do you have 30 minutes of I have material? 30 minutes. I, okay. I think so. I think so. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so I have, I have 30 minutes, and then the college playoffs are... Then I hear all these like ding, ding, ding. Yeah, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> all right. Sully, I don't know if you can hear me, but this feeding back up here. So, if you, yeah, great. Um, first of all, I just want to say that um, for those of you, if this is your first time in this class, and uh, then we just want to say welcome. If, this, if you're trying this out, um, then uh, just to let you know, we're... People ask me all the time, what is this? And I have no idea what this is. <laughs> um, uh, really, we're, we're tempting just to be a community of folks that are walking together uh, through life. Um, often in my own upbringing, um, there was, religion was this promise that if I put on the right kind of face to my life, if I did the right things, then I'd have a better life. Um, and that is what, I'm describing as really kind of first half of life spirituality. It's the things in the, the shallow end of the pool where you can touch so that you, um, you kind of learn some competencies in life. Uh, that's what school is about. Um, my experience has also been that sometime in your life, you will not be able to touch the bottom of the pool, and it will freak you out. Um, what do you do with the religion, with the upbringing with the emotional um, structure that you have internally when that happens. Um, and so um, what we're attempting to do is to realize that often in life we're thrown into the deep end where we can't touch. And the answers that we have been given in the first half of life, although they were helpful, they're no longer helpful. Along, although they may have been deeply comforting, to hold on to little things that says God is in control of everything, when you're standing over the death of someone that you love or a diagnosis that you have received or a child that is out of control in your life or behavior that you can't reconcile within your own self, those things that we have been given as kids, um, there's a gap. I'm going to say that there's a gap often that happens. And the way that I've begun to describe that is often we receive a T-shirt when we're kids at confirmation. We give T-shirts out here called Faith as well in confirmation. And we're told that that's the T-shirt that we receive. And as we grow up, the T-shirt size does not change, but we do. And that often we show up in church and we feel like we're, we're, we're shoved into our little sister's t-shirt and everybody else is too, but they all look a lot better than we do, right? Because we're judging our insides by other person's outsides and we always come up short. Um, and so, as I said, and I'll keep saying every week that I'm here, the map of faith that you have been given as a child will someday fail you. You will come to the end of it. Do not be freaked out, folks. This is nothing to freak out about. In fact, that's what um, that's the most repeated phrase um, in all of the canon of Scripture is don't freak out. <laughs> Loosely translated as be thou not afraid. <laughs> thou shalt not freak out. Um, not because there's nothing to freak out over. Anybody here have kids? There's a lot to freak out over. Anybody here ever been married or are married now? 
Nobody? Okay, just me and Michelle. Okay. A lot to freak out over, right? There's just a lot to so so the the judgments that often we receive from the first half of life, be not afraid. Is as if like there's nothing to be afraid over. There's a lot to be afraid over. What that perspective I think is saying is that there is a love that is existent in this world, and there's a presence that is existent in this world that um, is so deep. It's what my um, spiritual director uh, talks about the river that's underneath the river. In Spanish, the Rio Bajo Rio. There's a river underneath the river of my own anxiety, of your own fear, of your own inability to control the outcome. And that is what we say is the very presence of God. Um, the presence of a power um, greater than ourselves, as I've been taught in 12-step recovery. And so you will, at some point in your life, face things where you can't touch the bottom anymore, where the answers that you have been given, although they, were, um, they got you to this point, are no longer the map forward. And you'll begin to have to make um, other ways forward. I think that that's why people end up in sometimes in the second half of life either leaving church or coming back to church. Because in the second half of life, which doesn't really have to do with um, age, Young says it happens really out of deep pain in your life. Rohr says it's either deep pain and deep or deep love. I have never found it to be deep love that's affected me. It's usually deep pain that gets me to change, you know. It's deep love that keeps me going. Um, and so it doesn't have a date, age date on it. So if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you can be in the second half of life and be initiated into that. But usually it's when you begin to question, when you begin to ask questions that often you were taught or told not to ask. Often when you come up with things that you can no longer control in your life in a way that um, earlier in your life you could muscle it through or fake it till you make it. Um, and so what we're attempting to do in this class in our friendships, and I, again, I, I would say this, and I'll say this a bit in just a second in the lesson that we learn and that we look at, is that often what will... Um, Sully, are you back there? Okay. It's kind of... you guys hear the feedback? Oh, that's better. You can turn me down a little, and I'll just talk louder. How's that? Um, that often it's in our friendships. I really think that the core... Um, of friendships and relationships. And what I mean by that is not just how are you doing friendships, but friendships that we let in really become the core of our own spiritual life. They become the window. Uh, if you, uh, Michelle and I lived in England for a couple of years, and um, I was going to school, and, and they have these like gothic cathedrals there that are brilliant with, a, with the, the stained glass. They let the light in, and they're showing stories all of, of, of both history and important people and things that happen in the Bible. I think the most important stained glass you will ever encounter is the friendships that you develop in this place in this time in your life. They become the window in which the very presence of God is present. Um, in our lives. And so it's these friendships that we have where we can be vulnerable. We can tell the things that we don't know how to tell, that we can carry each other, that we can, um, as Ram Das says, um, walk each other home. And so that's what we're, uh, we're hoping to do. We're going to sing. Sam, whenever you get here, just walk on up, please. Um, we're going to sing some, some songs. And uh, um, this, is, this is Sam. 
uh, Gandhi. And, uh, and, and Sam is going to lead us. One of the things I want us to do in this season um, of, um, of, uh, of playoff football is, uh, <laughs> or Advent, as some people call it, uh, <laughs> is, um, and I said this in the, in the newsletter this week, there's often been times that I'll get to um, Christmas Eve service, like, you know, like I'm, I'm just out of, I'm just nuts. I'm not in my own mind. I'm not in my own body. I still have presents that I haven't bought. You know, I'm still trying to figure out how it's all going to work. And then I'm singing, oh, holy night, going, holy crap, right? <laughs> um, and, um, and also then trying to, like, jam in as much spiritual stuff as I can in 30 seconds of that, you know. I get it. I don't know if you're anything like me, but um, I need to be reminded often um, what uh, that playbill, now hear this. Now, right now, right here, this. And that that would be a thing that would bring us back. And so I'm hopeful that what I'd love to be able to do in this season is sing some, uh, I'm going to teach some things about um, uh, out of the text and out of scripture. And then I'd like to like mentally, mentally, I don't know if that's even a word, have many practices that we do together. We just come back. Um, um, the Sanskrit word for meditation means to return home. And there's this idea that God has made God's home in us. And that we make up stories about what's going to happen and we're always bicycling away from home. And the Buddhists had this idea in Sanskrit that to return, to meditate, is to return back to the place of God in you, right now, right here, now, hear this. And so that's what we're going to attempt to do um, in this, uh, these next few weeks together. So you want to lead us? Sure, yeah. It was an accident that we did this song this morning at 8.30. So. Oh, yeah? But Great. that means we know it better to sing out as much as you'd like to. Weary traveler Searching for the way to go Stranger Heavy hearted Longing for someone to know May you find A light May you find a light. May you find a light to guide you home. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. 
is real strength and consolation, hope of all the earth art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Weary travelers searching everywhere you go. Strangers who are searching long and deeply to be known. May you find a light. May you find a light. May you find a light to guide you home. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. to guide you home. One more time, may you find, may you find a light, may you find a light, may you find a light to guide. pretty good. We've got some uh, scripture with really tough words, so I gave it to people I don't like at all. Uh, <laughs> listen to the tough words of God. <laughs> yeah, Luke, that's it. You're, you're, on, your, you're on your way, Stephen. All right. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Together they lived honorably before God, careful in keeping to the ways of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. But they were childless because Elizabeth could never conceive, and now they were quite old. Can, can I call time out just for a second? You're great. Stay right there. 
I, I want to. I just want to point something out that uh, often it, I just caught this, like this week. Together they lived honorably before God, carefully in keeping the ways uh, uh, of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. And then what's the next word? They were childless. I have done it all right. But. This is called the big but. Okay. And I like. No, I'm not going to sing that song. <laughs> I don't, that's terrible. Strike that from the. Okay. Continue on in scripture, Stephen. It so happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regiment, it came as one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. The congregation was gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of the incense. Zechariah was paralyzed in fear. But the angel reassured him, don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son by you. You are to name him John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy, and not only you. Many will delight in his birth. He'll achieve great stature with God. He'll, neither drink, he'll, he'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah, soften the hearts of parents to children, and kindly and kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. He'll get the people ready for God. Yeah. Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zechariah's house, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and sang out exuberantly. You're so blessed among women, and the babe in your womb also blessed. And why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord visits me? The moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the babe in my womb skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. Blessed woman who believed what God said, believed every word would come true. Thank you. Can we give these folks a hand? Thank you. Um, so we're going to look at um, texts um, over the next couple of, of, of weeks that um, really characters in the Bible that are overlooked. Um, characters that don't necessarily get first billing. Characters that uh, uh, would be B-list actors, uh, I guess, um, uh, but nevertheless, um, that are, I think, central to what God may be up to. I think about the things that are overlooked in our lives. And it's often, uh, and, and Scripture says this all the time. In fact, it's our brothers and sisters from the South and uh, Central and South America that have talked about uh, the God's preferential option for the poor. That God is just doing something among folks that don't have a lot. Blessed are, 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 are those folks that don't have a lot, that God shows up and does stuff. And it's often in our lives, in the places in our own uh, maybe character or our own uh, lives that have been overlooked, that maybe there's things that emerge out of that that look like problems, that look like things we can't control, that God ends up using in our lives uh, in ways that really transform us. My hunch is that if we could turn knee to knee today, um, that often it's the places where our mess becomes our message. It's often God moves. It's in the places where we are running out of our own resources and we don't have those resources to, to, to really 
bring to bear that God, the Spirit of God, shows up and does something that's very quite um, um, out of our own control. And so we're going to look at text because I think that's that God ends up working in places in our own lives where things are, uh, are overlooked. Um, and I want to be careful that often that we turn these, these Bible uh, lessons, particularly around Christmas, into kind of these like fantasy things. I think we let Disney get a hold of them. And they become kind of some kind of frozen, you know, uh, songs that we sing. And it feels more like magic. But as we enter the, the text of the Bible, the Bible um, often, one of the things I've been thinking about um, um, in terms of just our own, let me get back to my notes here, sorry. I'm all out of, part of the question that I ask often is what is the Bible for? And as we're looking at a, a more mature spirituality, um, is, a, is the Bible a paper pope? Is it, you know, as in some of my fundamentalist upbringing, Jesus said it, that, uh, that Jesus said it, Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. Those are the three things that I was kind of, right? And so if the Bible says, and anybody says that, anybody says it, particularly with that kind of accent, hold on to your wallet, <laughs> you know, just something's, something's about to happen. The Bible says, and, and those are usually folks that have an agenda, um, and, and often is first half of life spirituality where we, if we could just keep the rules, if we could just make everyone conform to the rules, then everything would be better. And it's the people that are breaking the rules that are problem with the religious system. And then you come to the scripture and you have um, Elizabeth and you have Zechariah and they're loving God. In fact, uh, Elizabeth's um, is in the lineage of Aaron, the high priest. I mean, her pedigree. I mean, she's in kind of religious pedigree and royalty. And they're doing it right, but the very thing that they wanted, they could not have. And so often we come to the Bible saying, if I could do it right, um, could I get what I want? Would my life work out? I, if I follow the rules... Um, I'm going to be okay because uh, rule followers mean that you get ahead of the line, that you get to achieve, you get the gold star. Um, and I think that often in first half of life, that's really important to learn competencies, to learn the story of the Bible. But the Bible is not a constitution. It is not a paper pope. I really do think it's something else. I think often we have to learn to read past the Bible. Because what the, the scripture is attempting to do is to um, invite us, summons us to the world of God. Which in the end of the day is a mystery, folks. The very world of God is a mystery. Your life is a mystery. Why you do the things you don't want to do, how your life works out, all this stuff, it's mystery at the end of the day. And often the scripture is summonsing us to read past the words. As if the words were a constitution. Or if the words were a rule book. Into the very mystery of God. That the entirety of the scripture, the entirety of the work, I think, of God. Is to show up in the mystery of who we are. To build a home here. And to really establish our relationships differently. Right? God is not the um, great sorter in the sky waiting for you to die to tell you if you went to heaven or hell. That's crazy. 
God has given up everything and embedded love in this world so that we might order our social relationships differently. We don't have to hide anymore. We come to scripture and we realize, you realize in, even in this uh, text that was read this morning, that how much shame plays um, 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 the game in life. They did it right, but they were unable to conceive a child. And having a child in the first century, really in antiquity, was really a blessing, was seen to be a blessing, was a blessing from God. You look in the, the scriptures, um, this must have all been written before adolescence, that child, children are a blessing from God. Um, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. And so children are seen as a blessing uh, from the very heart of God, and so not to have children means then the opposite of that, you're cursed. Those of us in this room who have ever gone through infertility um, know that feeling, that Old Testament feeling that maybe, is there something I've done? Is there something we've done? Who's, whose fault is this? Is it What's going on? I prayed for this so much, why isn't it happening? And that often it can feel like a stigma. Uh, and so um, often when we come to the Bible with those kinds of questions, we're looking for answers, we're looking for rules, we're looking for something else. And I think that what uh, we end up um, um, finding in the scripture is a way to reorder our imagination. That often when we come to scriptures, it's about um, what, uh, what, what I think it's our, re, our imagination that needs to be altered often. We get stuck in our own stories. And we come to the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, these two folks that, that, that wanted a baby, and Zechariah was a priest, and um, they can't have children, and Elizabeth is already kind of well into the AARP. These folks are in retirement, folks. I mean, they're, they're headed that way. Um, and Zechariah's got one more year, and then he gets to cash out in retirement as a priest. It's looking pretty good. And they wanted children all of their life. And then this angel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a baby and you're going to call him John. And Zachariah is freaked out. That's exactly the term that is used in the, in the script. He is freaked out. Um, and so much so that there, we didn't read this part of the story, but he is unable to speak until the birth of John. He is gobsmacked. He doesn't believe it. And he goes back home and he finds out that his wife actually is pregnant. And so you've got this old woman that is barren that is now giving birth. Simultaneously, this other crazy story is happening where this 16-year-old uh, this girl, maybe she's 16, um, an angel shows up to her and says, you are going to be giving birth to something that is not of your own, that it is the only the work of God could have done this. And so... Um, you begin to see then this friendship between Elizabeth and Mary. So in the last part of that scripture, it says that, that Mary, um, um, Mary came to uh, Elizabeth's home, lived with her for three months. You have the 16-year-old uh, girl, Tops, and you have this woman who's in retirement. And for three months, the improbability of their life, things that they could not con conceive, Literally, conceive of on their own, God is doing for them. 
And um, I want to unpack this story um, before the playoffs in about five minutes, if I can. Um, I, I think one of the things that I want to put on the table of this overlooked story is this. Um, and I think that metaphors and symbols within Scripture are deeply powerful, that the grace of God presupposes our barrenness. If we can't talk about birth without talking about barrenness. You cannot talk about and hold hope in your life over something unless simultaneously there's a part of your life that feels despair. You cannot talk about peace unless you have known a deep anxiousness that something's not going to work out. You cannot talk about stability, the hope for stability, unless you have experienced deep instability in your life. And I think over and over and over in Scripture, what we begin to see is that God shows up, particularly in these kinds of stories. In fact, in Genesis 1, it says God created the same word um, that God uses in, in Luke for birth. God birthed the world, created the world. Out of what we talk about in, in Scripture? Out of nothing. The earth was void and formless. And then you have all these other stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament, just about nutty birth stories, about uh, Hannah and Eli, and Hannah and Elkanah, and this woman that really wanted a son and just said, I'll do anything for a boy, for a son, for a child. And God grants this woman um, a baby, Samuel. You have Sarah and Abraham, where the, the actual scripture is kind of funny. The actual scripture says that Sarah's womb was good as dead. That's kind of kind, right? <laughs> Not super PC, but super true, right? That they were inconceivable. And that part of what we're learning in a mature spirituality that if Scripture is not a rule book for the good to figure out how to do it right to get to the head of the line so that if there is some cosmic crap-o-meter, that because I've been good, the crap only will go to there. That does not exist. That what we're finding out is in the variability of life. There are things that, that, that want to be birthed inside of us that we are barren in. There are hopes that you have for children in your life, for relationships in your life, for things that might be different in your life, and you feel barren to conceive them. Does that make sense? And that what these birth narratives are is that we have to reclaim them from Disney. We have to reclaim them from the Bible says. And we have to put them in the very bellies of our own barrenness. Where when we hold on to these hopes that maybe God would do these things, but we are powerless to make that so. We're powerless to achieve what we want to, maybe in our businesses, maybe in our homes, maybe with our children, maybe in the shadows of our own life and our own behaviors, that we are, we are, we are barren to, to conceive the life that we want. Scripture over and over and over and over says, this is the very activity of God. That God will not leave us here. That God will not forsake us here. 
I always, and I, I want to also say this, I also don't think that that means then that there is always a positive outcome, right? It just means that we're not alone. It just means that we step off the map of our own Sunday school spirituality does not mean that we step off the map of God. We step into the variability of our own um, barrenness, our own inability to produce the life that we want. And that part of what Advent is, is understanding that and making a place inside of us to where what Mary said. Um, Mary says, I'll receive you, God. Whatever you have for me, I'll receive. One of the things I love about this story is the intergenerational friendships that are part of it, particularly, um, not just in this story, particularly with the women, that, um, that I have found men that are older in my life to be essential in my own development. And that often what we learn in schools is that we get kind of cut off from those kind of intergenerational friendships. And so it's the dudes in my life that I have to talk to about the, that are in my same cohort or cesspool that, uh, that I have to figure out about sex and I have to figure out about relationships and I have to figure out about forgiveness. That's the worst cohort is when you're a kid growing up is to figure all those things out about it. Can I get an amen from anybody here, right? And so part of this is you've got a 16-year-old pregnant woman finds an older woman experiencing the same thing and they're talking together. We have to break down some of the men and women uh, in this room. Some of us need to go after um, friendships that are a bit older than us. And I would say also friendships that are um, younger than us. And let me say this. It's not as if then you are giving and you are receiving. There's something happens in that um, those relationships that are deeply reciprocal. And I think there's something about that in the scripture. But we come to these places in our own life where we are barren. And I think God's grace, the grace of God, presupposes our barrenness. Presupposes that you can't do it. Presupposes that you are up against things that are too big for you presupposes that you've gotten to the end of something in your life and you don't know the way forward. And you're there not because you've done it wrong, not because you're cursed, not because you don't love God, not because you're not a good person, because that's the end of the road right there. And that God wants to birth something else. And that's why the, the, the word from um, the eternal heart of God is don't freak out, wait. In this place, wait. In this place, receive from God. I'll say this again, and I've said it a thousand times. This is what Darwin says. The human beings are the only animals, when they are lost, increase their speed. And often, when we get to the end of something, the end of our own rope, our own resources, we freak out and we increase our speed and we get busier, and we try to jam more of the stuff into the you know, 50 pounds of crap into a 25-pound bag, and we call that our life. Well, what Advent is saying, the Scripture is saying, I think, in this season, is that we are to wait. We are to breathe. We are to let things gestate. We're to allow 
the love of God to meet us in a place where our own resources cannot. If you never feel barren and you never get in touch with your own barrenness, you will never know the miraculous conception of God. If you never know desperation, you will never know the peace of God. If you are always trying to run um, from something that looks like you don't have your crap together because everybody else has their crap together, you will never know the transformative nature and love of God. And part of what this Advent season is and all this birthing stories is to say that God will show up and do what we cannot do. And I want to say this um, also, that um, I think this also is saying, this text is also saying that we're not alone. I love the fact that the first thing that Mary does is not go to her own mother and father, who she didn't go back to Joseph. She spends three months with, with Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth sees her, she's stoked. And in that space, this not aloneness, this, this, this sense that isolation is being pushed back. Because I think one of the, um, at least the, the Surgeon General says that it's isolation, which is an epidemic in our society. That we can be super busy but not be known by each other. That I can look at your eye calendar and see that you are jammed full. But when I, I look beyond that, when I look like scripture through it, that we're running from something. We're trying to achieve something. And part of what the, um, the nature of this season is, is to know that God wants to birth something in us that we can't and that we're not alone in it. That we can begin to develop relationships of vulnerability with um, folks in our own cohort, folks older than us, younger than us. And in that, God is up to something. God is doing something. All right, let's practice something, can we? All right, I'm going to ask you if you'll put your feet on the ground. This is not going to be weird, I promise. Um, it might be weird for some of y'all, but it's not going to be, it's not weird. Uh, I want you to free your hands up if you can. I want you to sit in a way that just um, um, allows you to be fully present. I want you to uh, close your eyes. And I... Um, in the next 15 to 20 seconds, this may be the most silence you've had in the last week. But I want you just to attend to your breath. Just, just let your breath be the anchor right now. If thoughts come in, just let them go. What is one thing in your life that you need a power greater than yourself? What is one relationship or area in your life where although you have pushed and tried and begged and pleaded and you are a good person and still there is a but Identify that, see that, look at that, hold that, maybe even in your own hands right now.
Oh God, you see these things that we hold. These things that cause us to be such frail human beings, so afraid, so angry, so busy. God, we would ask that in this season, you would compel us, invite us to a space to where we can lift these things up to you. These places in us that are inconceivable, that are barren. We'd ask that you would produce a life in us that is not our own life. That you would produce in us a grace that is not our own grace. A hope that is not our own hope. Oh God, and may we do that together. May we do that holding each other's hands, walking each other home. May we not be freaked out by each other's barrenness, but that is each of our stories. And may you find us here in this overlooked, out-of-way place. And may we tell stories of this, maybe not in two weeks or two months or two years, but sometime, of how you did what we could not do. How your love showed up in the most unexpected places. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It is in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all have a great week, and we'll see you back next week. Take care.